Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. I said that uh, it was a bit like an archaeological dig for me to be here today because uh, it goes away back to 1970 or so when Trevor came down from Derry to Trinity College, Dublin. Uh, but then in 1980, I was on the staff of uh, a theological college in England, St. John's College, Nottingham. And along came a student called Henry Arambi. He had to come from Uganda at first, as was true of all students at that stage, I think from Africa on his own. Uh, his wife and his children were left behind him. And I know that I'm not telling Henry anything he doesn't know, but I remember very clearly uh, that he watched on the television one night. It was the time before mobile phones. He watched under Amin his wife's village being burnt. And for several weeks, he had no idea whether his wife or his children were alive or dead. And Henry, I hope you don't mind me saying, but uh, the thing I remember most about you is your integrity, especially at the time when your little daughter Deborah died at just over two. And Deborah had been through all the situation in Uganda, had come to the safety of England uh, and died suddenly and unexpectedly. And I remember Henry saying at that time, my people at home will know that I have suffered as well. Henry is an outstanding man of integrity, an outstanding proclaimer of the gospel, and an outstanding Christian leader. And I just want him to come up, and I want you to give him a really, an African, Welcome, please. This is not just my brother in the Lord, this is a friend. Uh, I had the privilege with Bishop Ken Clark of going to your enthronement as Archbishop. The service lasted for about four hours. When Henry came in, he said, are there any loos in the cathedral? I said, Henry, that was what I was asking in Uganda when the service went on for four hours. But it was absolutely incredible. Uh, and uh, we are so thrilled to have you here uh, in Belfast and at the Bangor Worldwide Missionary Convention. So, Lord, bless Henry that he may know what you have on your heart to share with your people tonight, that he may know himself to be completely at home in this place, and that we would be blessed through him and that he would be blessed through us in the powerful and precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
I come back to give our accountability as a church in Uganda to the church here in the UK for coming to my country 140 years ago, bringing the good news that saves the souls of mankind. If they never came, we would still be walking in darkness. But they braved the then tough time, very difficult travels, enemies all over the place, and the diseases that could have killed and did kill some of them because they had a love for our people they didn't know. But they had a love for our people that God loved. And because they loved God, they came to my country. They planted the seed of the gospel in 1877 because they were invited by the then king in the central part of my country to bring the word of God. And the word of God came and transformed us in Uganda. And in the very first 15 or so years after the gospel was planted in my country, people were dying for the sake of Christ. Their bodies were mutilated. They were burnt for the faith they held firmly because your ancestors came to my country. And I come as a product of your mission endeavors, and I come as a seed planted by your ancestors, now ripen, and I can come and bring it back here to Europe. I thank God that at the age of 18, I made a decision to follow Christ. I was young, I was an Anglican who didn't know the God of the Anglicans, but I worshiped. I sang with everybody. I even preached my first sermon when I was 11 years old. They don't ask me what I preached because I could not even remember. I was brought up to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I gave my life to him. And for the last 50 years, he has walked with me. He has led me. He has been my shepherd, my helper, my provider, my teacher. Not always a good student, but my teacher and has helped me to keep going. And I thank God I'm here as a testimony to the saving power of God. Thank you, Trevor, for laying such a firm foundation for me to build on, and I'll try to build on to that. Harold and Liz taught me, and we are there on the staff in St. John's, Nottingham. But before then, a couple from this part of Europe also trained me when I was training to be a teacher. So somehow I have the Irish training me right from the time I was young to the time when I became a pastor and our friendship started then and could not stop. Another couple witnessed my marriage to my wife, a matron and the best man, and they were teachers in my country. So my relationship with the Irish started a long time ago and still going on, I thank God. Because as a youth pastor, when I got my first assignment, God gave me the love for young people. And I was a young person when I came to Jesus Christ. I began to be a pastor to young people. When I finished being a pastor, I became an archdeacon. I still was a youth pastor. I became a bishop. I was still a youth pastor. I became the archbishop of Uganda. I was still a youth pastor. Now I'm retired. I'm still a youth pastor. And much of my ministry is among young people because we believe that this church will rise or fall depending on how 
we handle young people in our generation. But the mission enterprise that began during Jesus' days is still going on. Be My Witness is our theme, but let me start by reading a few verses from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. You know that very well. Then the 11 disciples went to, to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of the resurrected Christ to his disciples, his followers. Jesus is very clear about the mission. He came, he walked through the mission with, with 12 men for three years. And now time has come. He has paid the price for the sinfulness of mankind. He's going back. But then he knows this mission is not yet finished. He's leaving it to his disciples because the mission is unfinished. He chose them, he appointed them, he discipled them, and they witnessed his love for the world. He reached out to the people who needed him. He touched the untouchable. The power of the kingdom was seen in the miracles that he performed. They witnessed all these things. And now he's going, and now he's telling them, you will continue with this ministry. And I'm not surprised that there was two reactions in the group that had him. When they saw him, some worshipped him. They saw Christ as Lord, worthy to be worshipped. Today, the church that worships the Lord knows the power of God. Others doubted which is similar reaction we find in our world today. There are those who worship the Lord. There are those who are cynical about the gospel. They are all living among us today like they were then during his time. That today you can either worship him. And you know, today I live in a church in my own country where people worship the Lord. And you see the power of the gospel in their lives. But not Jesus Christ knew his disciples. He knew them so well because for the three years he traveled with them, he knew the people he called, and he knew the people he trained, and he knew that he is going to pass over this great message to them. And they will have to go into the world to face the world with all his hostility then and today. But we are encouraged. This is what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority over sin, because on that cross, when he cried, it is finished, it was done. Authority over death, because death came because of sin. And when he rose again from the dead, what a hope for mankind, that we shall never come to an end entirely. No, in this body, yes, but then there is life after this body because he rose, we will rise again. The first resurrection, yes. The first fruit of resurrection, yes. We will be the next one. And to know that for us, that is a message 
to a world that has no hope. He had the power and authority over Satan and all the demonic forces. Now, I come from a society where demons are very active and openly active. I'm not sure about your society, but I come from a society where Satan is alive and active, so are demons. But I also come from a society where we believe in the power of God and his angelic intervention in our lives. So we don't emphasize demons as much because we know the Lord also has guardian angels around us. He has power over them. And so now he says to them, I'm sending you. Just as the Father sent me, now I send you. The authority, the power I have, now I give to you, go. Go make all nations my disciples. The going aspect of our mission is not a request. It's not saying, please, try. It's not saying, will you, if you have time. No, no. It's a command. Go. Make all nations my disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let them become a family. I feel at home when I come to this part of the world because I have Christian brothers and sisters. I'm staying in a family where there is a brother and a sister in Christ, so I feel at home. In fact, last night, I slept so well without worrying about anything. Why? Because somebody belongs to the faith and is in the family. Go make them my family members. And Christ taught them at that time the prayer that we all pray, our Father, our Father, the fathers, the father of the blacks and white, the oriental, and all other people, we belong to a family. Baptize them into the familyhood and let them enter into the intimate relationship that I want them to have with me. They are the branches, I'm the vine. They'll bear fruit. I will feed them. I will make them strong and prune them and make them fruitful. That intimacy is so important for us because unless we know him, we have no message. Unless we understand him, we can never stand and testify to the world because without knowing him, you have no word. But also teach them. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus had commanded his disciples some things which is worth thinking about. In John chapter 15 and verse 14, I want to read for you a scripture that encourages me as a believer to walk the way Jesus wants us to walk. Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. In verse 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. The Church of Christ today can only be interpreted clearly by the love they have for each other. When I lost our daughter, and Harold has been giving you that example, I was 4,000 miles away from my own people. We were in a foreign land in England. We had lived for three years, but I saw the love of believers. 
I saw how God's family came together to weep with us, to support us, to stand with us. And I understand love better during painful moments. You do the same. They came and they stood with us. I began to reflect on the fact that in Christ, we can make a sacrifice. The sacrifice is loving those that need our love. But then he made it as a command to them, teach them to love one another. Not only that, teach them to love the Lord their God with all their hearts, with all their souls, with all their minds, and with all their strength. And to love their neighbor as they love themselves. And I do understand the scriptures in this way, that unless I know God loves me, I cannot love somebody else, let alone a stranger. But if I know God loves me a stranger, it's easier for me to love a stranger, to love somebody else, because that love is not my natural love. It is the love of God flowing through me to the stranger, flowing to, through me to my neighbor, and teach them to sow the seed of that love in a loveless world, desperate for acceptance, for embrace. Because I work with young people, I see this love working so powerfully in the ministry I do with young people. In my country, young people love a hug. There's some kind of chemistry that happens when I hug young people. And when I hug them, and I hug them without, without getting tired, because that's a part of ministry. So I come to a point where young people said, but you haven't hugged me yet. You haven't hugged me yet. I don't know whether your society is a hugging society, but there is some kind of power that is communicated when we have a heart-to-heart -heart language in accepting the unacceptable. I find this, this, this world in which we live in is so lonely, dry, and difficult. Now, Christ has taught me to understand that because he loves me, I am, I am under command to love other people as well. But the promise he has given his apostles is still today true. And I am with you to the close of the age. You are not alone. I'm not alone. He is there. We may or may not feel him, but he is there. He made a promise and will keep that promise to the end. Therefore, let me bring back to mission seven things we can remember tonight. Seven things we can remember tonight. Number one, a thing that I want us to understand as followers of Christ is that the passion for mission comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief missioner himself. If ever Christ begins to work in the church, in individuals, he will plant in us a desire, a fire for mission. David Livingstone, a doctor, left his country of England and came to my continent of Africa and died in Africa. Bishop Huntington, a bishop from England, left his country, England, and came to my country, Uganda, and before he could reach the city, the palace of the king of Uganda, he was martyred. This is a fire and a passion planted by Christ in him. That sacrifice in mission is possible. He demonstrated this. He died. 
he died for the sake of the people that he loved. And so this passion, we can't get it from elsewhere. We can only get it from Jesus. And secondly, the ability to witness is spirit-given. Trevor has touched on that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you'll be my witnesses. Many of us find it hard, and I identify with you. As a young teacher, I knew I wanted to meet and, and minister to young people, but I always was afraid. I was so scared, I couldn't manage. So I told God, if you give me a, a particular stylish pair of trousers, I may have the courage to do so. And God did. He gave me a pair of trousers I was asking for. I could still not manage. Then I asked God, if you give me a bicycle, I can ride and go to church and meet the young people. God gave me a bicycle I could not manage. Until God poured on my life his spirit. Then witnessing became a possibility. Thirdly, only the spirit of God can convince and convict. It's not how much of a debater I have or how much of an orator I have. No, the conviction to touching a sinful heart belongs to God. Only God in the spirit can convict a person. Let's not take it on our shoulders we can manage. No, if you could, it would have been very easy, but it is not possible without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who convicts and convinces. And then fourthly, it's Jesus who prepares the ground for mission, and it is also Jesus who supports us in mission. Again, Trevor has pointed out the fact that the centrality of mission is Christ himself. He opens the way, he prepares the ground, he takes the person and he uses the person and he keeps the person in mission. And then fifthly, even today, Jesus is mobilizing his followers with the word go. Part of this convention is to stir us up. And I believe out of us here, Jesus is speaking to some particular people. He may be whispering in your ears and say, go. And the word go still remains today because it is necessary. The church doesn't sit and fall back in comfort and forgets about the world that is a big burden to our God. And then sixthly, in the last century, I've given you my testimony, Europe went to Africa, a little earlier on to Asia. Europe took the gospel to us. Now, today, Africa is coming back to Europe. Koreans are going all over the world. The Arabs are coming back to Europe. Maybe Europe never went to the Arabian countries. Now God has brought them into Europe. What is the church doing? Now that the Muslims have come to London, to Germany, to France, to all these land of the European, I'm not sure whether they're here in Ireland, but they have come. Maybe they have waited for us for so long, now they have come to us. What is the church going to do to reach them with the love of Christ? They're waiting for our touch. They're waiting for our provision. They're waiting for our smile. They're waiting for our sacrifice. They have come. Jesus Christ finally said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It is true. It is true. In my country, 
Now that I'm retired, I'm into evangelistic movement and, and campaigns all the time. Last year in September, I went to a town in the, in the middle of the north called Lira, and I had 4,416 young people sitting under my feet, and I was teaching them for four days, and they were drinking from the word of God just like dry sand, looking up to the Lord. And that is happening in my country over and over. That is a ministry that God keeps on renewing me to do. And I believe with all my heart, even in Europe, even in Ireland, the spirit of the Lord is on the move. But maybe as a church, we need to understand what he's doing. Let me conclude what the church can do today. I believe the church is poised even now to move where God wants them to move, to move in obedience to what Christ is saying to us as a church. Number one, which I believe is very important the church should be involved in, is prayer. Prayer for those who are hearing the call to mission. I don't understand if mission can be possible if the church does not pray. In my country, God has taught us prayer. In my own family, every middle of the month, a group of intercessors will come on a Friday night and pray the whole night until Saturday morning. End of the month, the same group of intercessors will come and pray from evening up to morning. A passion to pray. Why? Because we want to see God at work. We want to see us given the anointing to reach out to the people. The church must pray. If the church doesn't pray, it will slumber. If the, if the church slumbers, the enemy steals all kinds of things. Secondly, the church must give intentionally to missions. That there are people who are going to be willing to go. We need to support them. If you can't go, you can support. And this giving must be intentional. That the church must invest finances into missions. And I know that when the church is willing to give to missions, the Lord blesses and prospers that church. And then thirdly, I also believe very strongly that for those who are in mission, the church should support them financially, prayerfully, and if need be. And you can go to the mission field and see what they are facing on a daily basis and come back with areas of prayer for them. They will feel very encouraged. I do believe not all of us will go out overseas but each one of us can go out at least to our neighbor where you don't need a plane to fly. The church today that is out and about in a big number is a church in South Korea. The church Korea is listening to the command of Jesus to go. I have them in my part of the world. We are so remote in Kampala, from Kampala, but the Koreans are there with us. The Koreans are moving out so very freely on missions. And I, I single out Korea because I, I have been to Korea myself, South Korea, and I've seen for myself things I have not seen in other parts of the world. I went to Korea and I saw prayer mountains of all different kinds of denominations. And they go, they spend time, they fast, they pray, they cry for the world. 
And I'm not surprised God is honoring them. Another thing I saw in the city of Seoul, which I have not seen in other cities, are these crosses on churches lit at night. A clear testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord in those churches. The command still remains the same. The church must go. The church must go. If the church does not go, the area around us, the world around us will perish. If the church does not go, then the name of Jesus will never ring true in any community. Has the world got lost? I don't believe so. Because Christians are all over the world. Because testimonies are all over the world. And so, beloved, I want to thank God for your ancestors. I want to thank God for the love that moved your ancestors to my land. I want to thank God that you could come tonight and maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And I want to thank God that he's never quiet because his voice is still ringing strong and true to those who will obey. They will make our Lord a very happy God. Father, thank you so much for your church. We are here because you have called us and you count on us for the sake of your world for which you died. Thank you. Thank you that people are listening and responding. Thank you that many hearts are crying for somebody to declare peace into their lives, arm around them to declare love for them, food on their tables, clothing on their backs, somebody to weep with them, and somebody to rejoice with them. Thank you that the Church of Christ is alive the world over. Thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I bless his name in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.